You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Well, if you would uh, turn with me in the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark, we're looking at chapter 4, verses 35 to 41 this morning. I want to welcome you again to church, welcome you to the, the Lord's house with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. We're excited to gather together with you and uh, excited to be turning to God's word as he is always faithful to show us his kindness, his loving kindness through his word. And so that's what we're doing here at Redemption. We're progressively walking through the gospel of Mark together, going through the word together, walking verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. And I love how the Holy Spirit brings scripture to bear upon our hearts and the things that we are facing every day. And we're going to see that today. And I, and I think this week as well, with the content of the message, I think for each and every one of our lives, uh, the message is, is very pertinent to our souls at this very time. And I love that because it shows God in his, in his awesome love for us and how he cares for us through his word. His word is living and powerful. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need, and his scripture is always sufficient to meet us in our time of need. And so today, as we study Mark's account of Jesus performing yet another incredible miracle, we're going to see Jesus, we're going to witness him and his disciples, and they're in an extremely dangerous situation. They're in a storm. And Jesus' disciples are extremely afraid for their lives. And as we look at this text today, you and I are also going to be confronted with our own fears. With our own fears. Brothers and sisters, these disciples had great fear. We also know that at times in our own lives, we experience great fear and anxiety and worry in this life, but the beauty The beauty of God's word is that it is holy and it is sufficient for our troubles. And we're going to see today that Jesus here has much to say about our fears. We're going to see in this story that that in the storm there are three crucial truths that we need to remember. Three crucial God-sized truths we need to remember to confront, counsel, and overcome our fears. Anybody want to overcome their fears? Do you want to be immovable? Do you want to be calm? Do you want to be still in the storm of your life? Well, let's look at God's word and see what he has to say. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And rebuked the wind 
and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Let's pray. Lord, we need your help again this morning. Lord, we are so grateful that when you ascended to heaven, that you sent the helper, that you sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Your very presence indwelling man, indwelling us individually and indwelling us together as the church. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you have gathered us to hear by your Spirit, that each one of us have walked through the doors this, this morning, led by your Spirit and led by your Word. Lord, we thank you for what we are about to study that we get to stand in awe of Jesus Christ. That we get to see him in his glory and in his power as he calms the storm. Lord, would you work on our hearts yet again today, renew our minds, transform us into your image, grant us godly sorrow for our sin, grant us faith yet again, grow our faith today. Lord, we trust you. We know you were always true and your word always stands true. Use it today. Move me aside. Preach to your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. This was a common and, and natural part of the human experience back then and it still is today. In fact, today we know that, that fear and anxiety is extremely prevalent in our world, extremely prevalent in our society, and it's even increasing as our generations begin to multiply. Some examples of this, Barnes & Noble, the bookstore in the United States, recently announced that the sales of their books on the topic of anxiety and fear rose 25% in the year 2017. Anxiety disorders are uh, of the most common mental illnesses in the United States, affecting 40 million Americans. That's one in five Americans. According to the World Health Organization, almost 300 million people have some sort of anxiety disorder. Modern medicine is trying to deal with it in, in many different ways. They're studying it, they're categorizing it, they're medicating it. Friends, fear and anxiety go, go hand in hand with the reality that we're living in a fallen world. We're living in a dark, broken, dying world. Why is it broken? Why is it dying? It's because of our sin. Ever since we ate of the fruit of the garden, the universe has been polluted and stained to the outermost regions. The furthest that we can look with our telescopes, our stain has, our sin has stained the entire universe. And the fallout of that sin is that the world can be scary. The world has pain. The world has 
turmoil and, and disease and conflict and thorns and death. Evil intentions are coming out of our heart and we are tempted by the world. We are led astray by Satan and his forces and we're led astray by ourselves. It's our own doing. In Adam and Eve, we would have sinned in their place. And so fear is expected. The world is dark. It is dangerous. And on our own and in our flesh, fear and anxiety should be expected. But for the Christians, for those who have been born again, those who have ears to hear, we need to know the truth that our fears amidst the storms of life are only confronted, they're only counseled, they're only overcome by understanding and preaching God-sized truth to ourselves. And so the first God-sized truth that we see in this story that we need to preach to ourselves this morning is this. Our storms are never too big for our God. Our storms are never too big for our God. Why do we question his faithfulness? Verse 35, on that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Friends, depending on the kind of storm that, that you're dealing with in your life, sometimes all you want is to get some relief from that storm. Sometimes you think to yourself, God must be asleep at the wheel, that he doesn't care. This text starts up by showing us that Jesus here was exhausted, he was tired. And I love this because it shows us the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was, yes, 100% God, but he was also 100% man. We studied this together as men in our men's group. And in his humanity, his body was done. He needed rest. The text says, on that day. Well, this is the same day that he was teaching the crowds in parables, teaching his disciples about the soils, about the lamps, about mustard seeds, and it's been an extremely long day. And now the sun was setting, it was evening, and Jesus was completely spent. Friends, I preach for, le- for 45 minutes on a Sunday, and I have to go home and sleep for two, maybe sometimes three hours to get over the exhaustion of teaching God's word. I can't imagine how Jesus would feel in this moment, teaching all day. And he needed to get away from the crowd again. He needed some rest. And so the disciples see his, or, so the disciples, they see his exhaustion, and they keep him in the boat that he was already teaching him. Remember, he had to go and stand in a boat to teach because of the crowds. And then they grab a few other boats, and they, they depart at the words of their master when Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Now, when we think of the Sea of Galilee, we've got a picture up here. The Sea of Galilee lies uh, about 700 feet below sea level. It's, it's 17 kilometers long and about 10 kilometers wide on average. 
It's surrounded by hills and mountains. And as cold air uh, systems would often come down from the mountains, that cold air would collide with the, the warm air from the sea, and it would regularly produce violent storms. These storms would blow in quite rapidly, and they would blow in without warning. And such an event we see taking place in verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling, filling with water. But Jesus was in the stern. What is he doing? He is sleeping on a cushion. Now, if you want to think about first century boats, first century Galilean fishing boats, they were normally around 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, only about four and a half feet deep. They weren't huge vessels by, by any stretch of the imagination. They were, they were built for the sea, though. They were tough. We've got a picture of, of one here. And actually, this is a picture of one they dug up in 1986 that they dated all the way back to the first century. Um, most likely the same type of a boat that Jesus and the disciples would have been in. Now, these boats had the capacity to carry about 15 people, four of those people being rowers. And normally, the front and the back of the boat would have a wooden cover, which would be a small place for shelter. And in the middle of this raging storm, where water is breaking over the edge, and this boat is filling up, and it's threatening to capsize, here we see Jesus under one of those shelters. He's in the stern, and he is fast asleep. When I was a kid, my grandfather had a, a Bayliner yacht. Uh, probably about the same size as this boat. Uh, we would take it out on Williston Lake in northern British Columbia. That's the largest man-made lake in North America. And um, one time I remember we were cruising along with the boat, and because it was, a, it was built from a dam, often logs and trees from underneath would shoot up and land on the water. And so we're cruising along, and Grandpa hits a log with the boat, and the log knocks off the propeller. And all of a sudden, we have no power, no ability to steer, no control of the boat, and we were at the mercy of nature. And at the same time, the wind is starting to gust up. The waves are starting to grow, and we are heading towards a rocky shore. And I remember my family being extremely scared. I remember my grandfather being scared. I remember myself being really, really scared. What if the boat was to crash? What if it was to capsize? Would we survive? It's pretty scary stuff. But I think what I was experiencing that day was child's play compared to what was going on with the disciples and Jesus. The Sea of Galilee is known for having these violent storms, 10 to 15 foot swells, capsizing boats, and it wasn't unusual for fishermen to not come home. And so we see these few boats and Jesus in the middle of the sea in this raging storm. They're threatening to go down. And the disciples are extremely afraid for their lives. This boat would have been rocking violently. Thunder and lightning would be crashing all around. They would have been frantically trying to get the water out of the boat. And the disciples would have been screaming. And yet in the stern, fast asleep on the cushion, there lies Jesus, their fearless leader. Can you just imagine how they felt? 
I know what I'd be thinking. What in the world are you doing, Jesus? How can you sleep through all of this? Do you even care? What are you doing? We're dying here. Well, this is exactly what they were thinking. Even these fishermen, these disciples, these seasoned fishermen were afraid. And so they awake their Savior and they say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're about to die? Brothers and sisters, our storms are never too big for our God. And why do we question his faithfulness? Jesus wasn't overly concerned with the storm. It wasn't phasing him at all. So much so, so that even that he knew exactly what was going on, he chose to remain sleeping, he chose to rest. The storm wasn't too big for his eyes. It's really interesting to ponder here too, as you study the Gospels. The only place that we see Jesus sleeping in the Gospels is in this storm. It wasn't phasing him at all. In fact, what we see here is that Jesus is using this storm to teach his truth, to teach the disciples something greater. It was a teaching opportunity. In fact, we see that they awoke him and they said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, Mark put that in there purposefully. This is a teaching event. Teacher, Rabbi, do you not care that we are perishing? Do we do that to the Lord? Do we question him like that? Do we question his faithfulness? Do we take his slowness to act as if he's not caring? As if, as if he's forgotten about us in our trial, that he doesn't care? How about when the hard things come? When life hits you square in the face, when the storms of life blow in and the waters seem like they're coming over the edge of your boat and your life is being rocked and you feel like you're going down. You're capsizing and you can't take it anymore. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. All you want is some relief from the storm. Perhaps your marriage is going through a really tough time. Perhaps you've lost your job. Maybe the bills are piling up. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Perhaps your, your family is struggling with conflict. A teenager is rebelling. Maybe you've had a miscarriage for the second or the third time. Perhaps you've just received joy-shattering diagnosis from the doctor. Maybe you've got a close family member that just died. Whatever it is, friends, these, these storms that we all experience are big. They're big to us. In the middle of the storm, when we want nothing but relief, we sometimes question God. We wonder where he is. What is he doing? Why is this happening to me? Where are you, God? Jesus, would you wake up? Don't you care that I'm perishing? Friends, we need to listen up. We need to, we need to know this, that you may think that the storm is too big, and you're right. The storm is too big for you. But the storm is not too big for God. 
It's all in his hands. He's not phased by it. He can handle it. He wants you to know that. That he's got it. That he's got all of this in control. That he is with you in the storm. In fact, he's in the storm. He allows these things to come into our life to produce faith. The biggest and insurmountable storms that we can think of do not escape the sovereign hand of God. He's got you. He's not going anywhere. He hasn't left you. He cares about you. In fact, he cares about the situation more than you even know, more than you care about the situation. Psalm 23 tells us about our great shepherd. Psalm 23 verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus never left his disciples. He was there in the storm and he will never leave you. If you are his, he isn't going anywhere. He will not forsake you. So stop questioning his faithfulness. Instead, you need to examine your own lack of faith. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God doesn't run from the storms of your life. So we need to preach this God-sized truth to ourselves that our storms are never too big for our God. As the disciples just accused Jesus of not caring about their situation, we're also going to see in verses 39 to 40, as Jesus responds to their fears, that as our storms are never too big for God, secondly, our storms are never too small for our God. They're never too small for our God. Why are we so full of fear? Jesus hears the cries of his disciples. He's let this thing go on long enough. And his point is clearly made. In verse 39, And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the winds ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? Jesus knew the fear and the worry and the panic all over the faces and the minds of these disciples. He knew that they were questioning his faithfulness. And even so, he wakes up. And get this. By the very words, by his very words, he speaks, and his creation submits to his complete authority. Up to this point, the disciples have witnessed all kinds of miracles by Jesus. They've seen his authority over sickness. They've seen his authority over disease and demons, even the power to forgive. But in the Gospel of Mark, this is the very first miracle that we see Jesus performing over nature itself. He speaks to the sea and to the wind. In fact, the text says that he rebukes it. He rebukes the wind. The word being used for re re rebuke here is to repro reprove, to admonish, to censure. 
And it's the same word that, that was used earlier in Mark 1, verse 24 to 25, when he was rebuking the demons. Back in Mark 1, 24 to 25, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, same word, saying, be silent and come out of him. And so what we're seeing is with the same authority he had before, he rebukes nature. He rebukes the sea like he's rebuking a demon. And he says, peace, be still. This word for peace here, it has the same sense of muzzling something. In the form of this word, in this, it's an imperative, so it's a command. It's in the perfect passive, which means be still and stay still. And immediately, the wind ceased. These violent winds blowing in from the mountains, colliding with the warm air of the sea, completely, absolutely, totally stopped. It didn't just calm down a little bit. The text says there was a great calm, a complete calm. No wind, no waves, absolute glassy peace. Your God has extraordinary power. Jesus is the man. Jesus is God. He is the creator. He's the same God proclaimed in the Psalms that we read this morning. In Psalm 107, I'm going to read from verse 28 to 29. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Only the one who created it can do that. And his creation naturally obeys the command of his mouth without question. That is your God. That is Jesus. Sometimes, friend, I think we're, we're, we're so guilty. We're so guilty of reading these events, reading these accounts, and we turn the page unimpressed. We need to fight that. We need to fight that. These things have not been written down by the Holy Spirit to be at the same level of your favorite blog or, or your social studies textbook or, or that news story of the day. It's, it's written down to cause our hearts and our eyes to be cast to heaven in awe about who God is. We need to fight the passivity and we need to be in awe again. This stuff really happened. This is not a story. And so we need to try to recapture as much of that original awe as we can, like we're the disciples in the boat, and we need to worship that Jesus, trust that God, follow that power. He is awesome. Nothing compares with him. We just witnessed again that, that Jesus does what only God can do. And with the instant calm of the storm, the disciples were instantly silenced as well. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is teaching his disciples. 
And right now he is teaching you and he is teaching me that fears need to be counseled by faith. Fears need to be counseled by by faith. Fear cannot stand in the presence of faith. This all-powerful Jesus can be trusted even in the most treacherous and frightening storms. If you have faith in who he is. If you really believe in him. And so let me ask you, are you truly believing in him today? Do you have faith? The degree to which you are afraid is directly correlated to the degree to which you believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. The degree to which you are afraid is directly correlated to the degree to which you believe in Jesus Christ. And the more that you believe, the less you fear. And the more that you trust, the less you question. The more that you have faith, the less you accuse Jesus of not caring. Do you believe that Jesus loved his disciples? Do you believe that he calmed the storm? Jesus can be trusted. This God can be trusted. And so how do we believe more? How do we trust more? It's easy to say that, but how do we actually do that? Well, we need to look at God's word, his special revelation to us. First, we need to believe who he is. We need to understand him as our, our all-powerful creator. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is a powerful God. And so ask yourselves, do I believe that? Do I believe in that, Jesus? We need to believe that. And then we also need to believe that he cares for us. Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you believe that? That God has your best interest at hand, that he is caring for you. Do you believe that he actually listens to your prayers and he faithfully responds to your cries for help? Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, I love that. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Is he listening to your prayers? Of course he is. Do you believe that he hears and he cares? Yes. We need to believe that he wants what's good for us, Romans 8, 28. And we know that, that though for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe he wants what's good for you? Sometimes what we think is good is, is not good. And sometimes what we think he's doing is not good, but it is for our good. We need to believe all these things and more. We need to trust in his very special promises and ask him to help us with our faith. Faith is a gift. We need to ask for that. 
Remember the father in, in the scripture, scriptures who asks, asks Jesus, he, he wants his son to be delivered from demons. And he responds, and we're going to study this later in Mark 9, he responds to Jesus' words in Mark 9, verse 23 to 24. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus says that. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Or like the apostles requested in Luke 17, verse 5. They cried out to the Lord, said to him, increase our faith. We need more faith, God. And so let me ask you, are you fighting to believe? Are you asking for more faith? Are you going to the Lord and seeking him? Or are you wallowing in fear? As we look at the context of Mark's writing, we have to also remember something else. Think about the audience that Mark is writing to. Most likely, Mark is writing this gospel in Rome to Roman Christians, and this is taking place in the 50s and 60s AD. His audience uh, are Christians in Rome, and they are about to experience some horrific persecutions. Anybody remember Emperor Nero? History would tell you that the evils of Nero were, were unbelievable. He would dip Christians in wax and light them on fire to light his gardens. He would feed Christians to dogs and many more things I don't even want to share this morning. He even lit his city on fire and blamed the Christians for that. It's the context of Mark's audience they're about to face some incredible storms in their own lives, and he's preparing them for that. And as the disciples on the boat needed not to fear the storm, so these Christians in Rome are about to face a horrific storm. And so as we read this, we have to remember this counsel from Jesus is that he equips us for the greatest of storms, the greatest of trials and persecutions. Now, we're not experiencing these things. We're not on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. We're not in Rome being thrown to the lions. But yet God cares for the storm that we're in right now. Even though we may think they're too small for him, he cares about the storms that we are facing. The storms are not too small for Jesus. This storm was really nothing for him to take care of, but it wasn't too small for him to take care of. He speaks to it and he calms it. And he calms the disciples' fears. So the storms in our life are not too small for him either. Now, now I know most of you, I know some of you at different levels in your life, I know that some of us are going through storms and trials and fears. But friends, more than that, God knows what you're going through. And your storm is not too small for him. You need to go to him. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, you need to go to him. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. So as awesome and as powerful as he is, he intimately cares for every detail of our life. And so don't fear. Have faith. I love this quote from an unknown author. It says, 
Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. No one was there. Our storms are never too big for our God. Our storms are never too small for our God. And lastly, our God is always bigger than our storms. We need to fight fear with fear. We need to fight fear with fear. Verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When fear is confronted with faith, reverence takes place. Paul Tripp says this. It's a a lengthy quote, but it's worth reading. This comes from his book, Dangerous Calling. He says, fear can overwhelm your senses. It can distort your thinking. It can kidnap your desires. It can capture your meditation so that you spend more time worrying about what could be than considering the God who is. Fear can cause you to make bad decisions in the short term and fail to make good decisions in the long run. Fear can cause you to forget what you know and lose sight of who you are. Fear can make you wish for control you will never have. It can cause you to distrust people you have reason to trust. It can cause you to be demanding rather than serving. It can cause you to run when you should stay and stay when you really should run. Fear can make God look small and your circumstance look large or loom large. Fear can make you seek from people what you will only get from the Lord. Fear can be the soil of your deepest questions and your biggest doubts. Your heart was wired to fear because you were designed for life shaped by fear of God. But horizontal fear cannot be allowed to rule your heart because if it does, it will destroy you and your ministry. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Friends, we have to fight fear with fear. We need to fight fear with rightful, reverent fear of the Lord. The disciples went from fearing their circumstance to fearing this all-powerful God. This God-man, Jesus Christ, standing in their presence. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What power. The text says they had more than just fear. They had great fear. So friends, as, as, as nature, as nature's natural response is to obey its creator, man's natural response is to fear God. At our prayer meeting that we had this this last week, we went through Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 9. And Isaiah had a vision vision of the Lord in the temple. And what took place there was fear, reverence. Isaiah 6, verses 4 to 5. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. At that moment in Isaiah's existence, nothing else mattered. All things fell into the right perspective. He was undone, he was humbled. 
When you look at scripture, whenever somebody comes into the presence of God, what do they do? They fall down. Absolute humility. Absolute fear and reverence because of who God is. He is holy. From Abraham to Job to Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, and even the apostle Paul and others, their natural response in the presence when they witness and their all-powerful God is to stop and fall down in fear. And we see in the disciples that they were stopped. They were in awe. They were floored by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Who then is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? Is this how you feel about Jesus? Are you blown away by who he is? Does his presence completely floor you and knock you to the ground? Is this the Jesus that we know and that we claim to believe? Do we fear God? Do we revere him? No, we're not standing in the boat with these disciples. No, we're not a prophet like Isaiah seeing the vision of the Lord with our own eyes. No, we're not the Apostle Paul being blinded by his presence on the Damascus Road. This is not going to happen to you. And it doesn't have to happen to you. Because you can experience right here. You can experience that right here. In every page of this book. Standing in awe and in fear of your God. And so as you look at that book on your nightstand, as you look at the Bible on your coffee table, or the app on the first page of your phone, in order to fear God, you you have to be in the presence of God. And you can't be in the presence of God if you're not in the Word of God. That's how He speaks to you. This can't happen with your Bible closed. God has given you a gift to come into His presence. To know his holiness. To catch a glimpse of his glory. So that you can fear him. So that you can revere him above all things. And when he is feared, all things fall into the right perspective. You see things as God sees things. You understand your troubles in light of his greatness in light of his power, in light of his sovereign care. You see what's real and you see what isn't. Friends, we need to fight fear with fear. Fear the Lord. Trust in him. Believe in him. Be in awe of him again. we got to fight fear with fear right now, right here today. The storm is never too big for him. The storm is never too small for him. Your God is always bigger than your storm. So don't question your faithfulness. Or don't question his faithfulness. Don't be afraid. Fight fear with fear. And ask yourself this. May this be the meditation of your heart this week as you're walking in this world. Remember this. And be asking yourself this. Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Stand in awe of your God. Fight fear with fear. Let's pray.
Lord, we, we come to you as a fearful people, people who are often cast to and fro by, by the worries and, and the cares of this world. And Lord, we, we confess to you today that, that, that we fear at times because we don't have faith, that we're not believing truly in who you are. And so, Lord, we confess that to you, and we repent of that today. Like the disciples in the boat, Lord, we, we, we accuse you of things. We accuse you of not caring. Lord, we confess that as well. We are sorry for that. Lord, we want to trust you. And Lord, we know that you have given us everything by the power of your Spirit in your word. Lord, we thank you that you invite us into your presence through a book, through your words. And we're reminded that these same words that are given to us through the pages of Scripture spoken out by you through men hearken back to the same voice that created it all. Lord, help us to be in awe yet again of you. Help us to have reverence and fear for who you are. You love us, you care for us, but you are a holy, you are a powerful God. Lord, we cast our anxieties upon you because you care for us. Thank you for your word today. Do your work on our heart. We receive it with joy. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.